All right. Well, this morning we're continuing to go through our series on Rethink Discipleship. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. You may be wondering why I'm dressed a little bit differently today. We'll get into that in just a minute. But I've been reading a book uh, called The Great Omission by Dallas Willard. And one of the things he actually talks about is uh, what he actually calls a heresy in the church, which is pretty strong language. But he talks about this idea of what he calls vampire Christians, vampire Christians, which I think is an interesting term. Uh, what it means is that there are Christians that want a little bit of the blood of Jesus, but they actually don't want to follow Jesus. They want to have the benefits of being forgiven and converted, yet they never really follow and become obedient disciples of Jesus. And so what Alice Willard argues is that the church has made converts into church members but not done a good job of making disciples. And Jesus' great commission calls us to make disciples. In fact, we're going to take a look at those verses today in Matthew 28. Let's pull out, if you have a Bible with you or Bible app with you, pull that out to Matthew 28. We're going to focus just on a few verses this morning. It'll also be on your screen so you can read along. But here it is, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came near and spoke to them, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of the present age. I want to focus in, just as we look at those words today, on go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And we're actually going to break, uh, look at that specifically this morning. Now, one of the things is that we have done is we've made converts, but have we made disciples? That's a great question. And that's why I'm wearing this backpack today. I like to go backpacking and hiking and so forth. And so Friday night, I went to REI. Does anybody else like going to REI? I went to REI. I'm a member of REI, and I have a membership number, and I go in there, and they were having their sale. It turns out everybody else in Seattle showed up at REI Friday night as well. So we were at REI for two hours. Uh, I was there looking at some, some gear for hiking. And the thing is, is you can go in there, and you can spend a lot of time there if you love hiking, and you love getting gear and getting equipped and everything. And so imagine that all the different things you they have, you know, and I go in there and I've got my uh, REI backpack that I've got, I've got my hiking poles, I'm geared up, I'm ready to go. I, in my bag, I've got a first aid kit, emergency shelter, binoculars, compass, survival knife, uh, rain gear, all those things, water bottle, uh, and so all these things I have, in, and I'm geared up to go hiking. Now, I want you to imagine just for a second here that you wake up one day and you realize, I was born to be a hiker. And so what you do is because you feel born and called to this hiking, you go to REI, you become a member of REI, and you love hanging out at REI because you get to meet other hikers, you get to talk to staff who, who've been out into the wilderness and been hiking, you can take classes on wilderness survival, first aid, uh, you can take classes on um, navigation with map and compass. So you can take a bunch of classes there at REI. You can become a member of REI. You can hang out there at REI. It's really fun for us hikers just to hang out at REI with other like-minded people. And we could spend all our time at REI. In fact, I spent two hours there Friday night. So, and so all these different things 
are going on. And so imagine that you go to REI because you feel born into hiking and you have this new call to hiking and then you get all geared up, you take the classes, you do everything and then you get out to the trail. You decide, I'm going to go out to the trail on, on, on a hike. And you get out there and you pull the map out on the hood of your car and you look at the elevation gain and you go, wow, that's a lot of elevation. That's a really hard, that's a lot of, that, that, that's, that might be hard. And then you see a sign on the hike that says, uh, beware bears or cougars, mountain lions. And you go, you know what? I think I'm just going to turn around and go back to REI. I'm just going to go back home, right? And so you don't actually go on the hike. But you believe that you're a hiker, but you actually don't ever go on hikes. You get equipped, you go to classes, you become a member. And I think that's exactly what's happened in the church in America. I'm talking about the whole church, not our church, but all churches is that we become members and converted to hiking. Like, and so we go to, like REI. REI, the church is like REI, and that's a good thing. It's not that we don't need REI. We do. We need the, to be equipped. We need to be trained to go hiking, but we actually have to go hiking, not just be members of REI. It's possible that we can be members of a church and go to classes in a church and dress the way the ch- people in a church dress and do all the things that church people do and never be disciples. Never actually go and practice discipleship and be the people that God has called us to be, and which is hard at times, right? And it's difficult, and there's elevation gain, and there are risks, and there are dangers out there. But that's actually what we're called to do. That's what we're equipped and trained to do, is to, make, to be disciples and to go and make disciples. That's what Jesus was saying. He says he wasn't talking about just making converts. He was talking about making disciples. And just to remind ourselves, last week we talked about this. If you want more on this, you can go back and and watch last week's sermon. But we talked about the discipleship triangle. And this is a little bit of what discipleship looks like. We be with Jesus. We're, we're, We're learning from Jesus as we spend time in relationship with Jesus. That helps us to think like Jesus and to have the mind of Christ. And then as we begin to shape our thinking and our attitude, we then go out into the world and we act with Jesus in the world. We become the hands and feet of Jesus in the world and we're doing those things. And then we also come back and we reflect with Jesus and with our faith community, the church, on how we're practicing our discipleship and we get feedback and reflect on. And just like a a hiker will go out on a trail and then report back to other hikers what they experienced on the trail. And so that's part of what discipleship looks like for us, and that's what we're looking at today. So, but part of discipleship will be difficult. Let's be honest about it. And this is where we need to rethink discipleship, because I think too often, especially when it comes to sharing our faith, or sharing the gospel with other people, we think to ourselves, it's too hard to do that. And if you live in Seattle right now, you know this is a difficult place to be a, be a disciple. It's a difficult place to share our faith with other people because people aren't always accepting or oftentimes some can even be resistant to that. And so we can tend to look at the trail ahead of sharing our faith, this, this call to go make disciples in our city of Seattle or in the Pacific Northwest and go, you know, that's too hard. I think I'm just going to go back and hang out at church, you know, just like we want to just hang out at REI instead of actually go out on the trail because it's too hard out there, right? And so I think of that, that temptation within us to not face the obstacles and the, the things that are before us as disciples. Now, but one of the things that disciples do is disciples don't, don't let obstacles get in their way, right? 
Disciples don't let obstacles get in their way. Now, there's a great story in Mark chapter 2 of the Gospel of Mark, and it talks about these friends who have a friend who's paralyzed. And they hear that Jesus is in town, and he's speaking, and they know that Jesus has the power to heal their friend of his paralysis. So they want to get their friend to Jesus. They want to bring their friend to Jesus. And so they get him, they put him on a mat, and they physically carry him. Think about how hard it is to carry another human being across town or across a village to the house where Jesus is teaching. And then they get there, and when they get to the house where Jesus is, they can't get in. There are crowds of people have gathered around the house, and they're listening to his teaching, and they can't get in. So they make an attempt to get in the front door, and they can't get in through there. They go around. Maybe they check a window and try and get them through a window, and that doesn't work because there's too many people. Maybe they go around the back door, and there's a back entrance, and they try and get in there, and that doesn't work. So they make these repeated attempts to get their friend to Jesus, and it fails. Then they just come up with this plan. They put their heads together. They come up with this plan to climb up on the roof of the house, and then they dig through the house. They dig through the, the, uh, the, the roof, and they make a hole big enough in the roof to then take, they probably take ropes or something on the mat, and they lower their friend down right in front of Jesus in the middle of his sermon. Think about that. They are not going to let any obstacle get in their way to get their friend to Jesus. Why? Because they love their friend deeply. They want his healing. They want his forgiveness. And when he gets down there, when the paralyzed man is laying before Jesus, Jesus stops his sermon and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. He actually doesn't heal him first. He says your sins are forgiven because of the faith of his friends. His friends have enough faith to get him to Jesus and Jesus forgives his sins. He hasn't prayed a prayer, sinner's prayer, or anything. He hasn't Nothing's changed in his heart, but Jesus forgives him. And then after that, he does heal him. But it's the faith of the friends that help him come to Jesus, right? To bring him to Jesus. And see, disciples don't let those obstacles. Think about how much repetition went into that. Repeated attempts to get their friend to Jesus. Repeated digging with their hands to create this hole in the roof to get their a whole human-sized body through the roof down at the feet of Jesus and even willing to interrupt Jesus' sermon. Think about all the repetition that went into that because that's what disciples do. Disciples will do anything to bring people to Jesus, right? They don't let obstacles get in their way, but they also, disciples bring people to Jesus. And that's what these disciples did. This, that's what these friends did is they wanted to get their friend to Jesus, so think about all the repetition, though, that gets into that, that, right? And that actually, should we actually have to repeatedly share the gospel with people? And there are re- two reasons for this, that we need to repeat the gospel. One is actually for our benefit. The more we practice faith sharing and sharing and telling other people the, the way that God has healed and forgiven us, the more likely we'll do it again and again. And so what happens when we practice something, our brains actually start to wire to do that. Anything, take any practice in your life. And there's something, our wire, brains are wired with something called neurons. Now neurons, if you look at them, have uh, a cell makeup and along the, the neuron is something called the myelin sheath. And this is like an insulation around the wire. If you can think of a wire in your house or somewhere you've seen it has a, like a, a coating on the outside or uh, some protective layer, that's the myelin sheath. Now, when we practice something, the neuron fires, and the more it fires, the more we practice it, it keeps firing that neuron, and we develop a neural pathway, 
And what happens along that neural pathway is the myelin sheath begins to build up. What this does is it makes that firing of that neuron uh, faster, more efficient, and it increases performance of the brain when we do that. So when we practice everything over and over and over again, we're actually creating a neural pathway to get better at whatever we're doing. That's why people say practice makes perfect, right? And actually, any bad habits we develop in that neural pathway will stay with us as well. And we'll get better at our bad habits in the same way. So this is why there's another phrase called perfect practice makes perfect. Uh, so as we practice these things, we want to do them as best as we can so we develop that neural pathway. So anyway, learning, this is how learning happens. This is how pra- we have to practice our discipleship. And this is good for us. It helps us to become disciples. The other thing is good for is it's good for others when we repeat the message, when we repeat the gospel to others. And sometimes people have accused me of using too much repetition in sermons. That's intentional at times because the repeated message is more likely to be remembered. And so one of the things we know is they've estimated it takes anywhere from seven to 20 times for someone to hear a message or see something before they'll actually become aware of it. Think about that. So you might see something six, seven times before you notice it, and then you notice it. It's actually been there before, but you're just noticing it for the first time, maybe the seventh or eighth or tenth or fifteenth or twentieth time you've seen it, right? If you have a teenager and you've said to them seven, ten, fifteen times, clean up your room, this is also applicable, right? Because it takes time. You have to keep reminding them. And there are times where we just need to be reminded again and again and again before it sinks in. And so parents, be persistent. Uh, Anyway, so that's part of it, is that we need to repeat the gospel, repeatedly share our faith with others. It's good for others. It's good for us. Now, once we bring people to Jesus and we share share our faith with people and we bring them to the feet of Jesus, so to speak, then the Great Commission kicks in, right? That we are to baptize people. And so that's the other thing is we baptize people to follow Jesus. We don't convert people through baptism. When a person comes to our church in the faith community, we baptize them in a faith community because that faith community are other disciples who can encourage them and support them. But when the symbolism behind baptism in the church is that they die to themselves, right? And they are raised to follow Jesus. They, they come forth to, out of the water to follow and to be a follower of Jesus. And if you look at the baptism questions, you see this idea of dying to self and living to follow Jesus and to obey, as it says in the Great Commission, the teachings of Jesus. And so that's part of what's happening in baptism, the symbolism. So we're not converting people in baptism. Baptism is not a sign of conversion. It's a sign of discipleship. Now, a lot of times we have people share their conversion experience, which is a part of it. Conversion is the first step on the discipleship journey, on the the growth of a disciple, but it's not what we, we don't end there. We don't stop there. We begin to make disciples. Jesus didn't say make converts. Jesus said make disciples who are followers of Jesus. So we baptize them to follow Jesus, and then what the Great Commission says is that we teach them to others to obey Jesus. So we, we learn ourselves how to obey Jesus, and then we teach others to obey Jesus. So that's what disciples do. They learn and teach others to obey Jesus. This has to do, when we talk about obedience, this has to do with the core of who we are. This has to do with our will. And we have to 
And we have to decide, right, to follow Jesus. And in that decision, we're deciding to obey the teachings of Jesus and to do what Jesus would do and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And part of that is the, that we're to go and teach others. We're to go and share our faith with others. This is, if you didn't know, today in the church calendar, this is Pentecost Sunday. And in Pentecost, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, it talks about the Spirit uh, being poured out on the disciples to be witnesses to Jesus in the world, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so that's what's happening here, is that we're to go and share this with others. And a lot of times, though, we've fallen into this practice of really just making converts. I had a, I had a father uh, several years ago in another church come to me at the end of a service, and he says, uh, Pastor, could we have a, like an altar call in our church? Could we have like, you know, a real altar call? And I was like, well, you know, I've shared, and I've invited people to follow Christ, and I, yeah, I don't make it some long, drawn-out, emotional thing. I trust the Holy Spirit's working in people's lives, but we do give invitations for people to, to come to Christ and follow Christ in our church, and, and he said, well, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, and it would be really great if, if we could have, like, you know, a really good altar call so that my daughter could get saved, and I was like, I would love for your daughter to, you know, get saved. I'd love for your daughter to come to be, to know Christ and follow Christ. I, I get that as a parent, and uh, he said, well, you know, if you could just have a really good altar call, then she would be, get saved. She would come to Christ. And I, and I said to him, I said, well, you know, there, there's more to it than that, right? And I said, I looked at him and I said, um, have you shared your faith with your daughter? Have you shared your conversion experience with your daughter? And he looked at me a little frustrated, a little befuddled, and he goes, well, no, I've never really shared that story with her. And I was like, well, why don't you try that first? Like, why don't you share your faith with your daughter if you really want her to know Christ? And so he thought about it and reflected on it, and so he left. And so I saw him like three weeks, four weeks later, about a month later, and I ran into him after church one day, and I said, so how'd it go? And he goes, you know what? I did it. I shared my faith with my daughter, and she loved it. She asked me questions. She wanted to know more. She was really interested in learning more about what God was doing in my life. And I'm like, there you go. That's part of discipleship, right? He had been a convert, and he wanted his daughter to be a convert, but what we were encouraging him to do was be a disciple, share his faith with his own daughter. And think about that. The very person that he loved the most, he had not shared his faith with. I think about that. Think about the people in our lives that we say we love dearly, and we don't ever share the goodness of God with them. We never share the love of Christ with them. We never share about God's grace and forgiveness and healing for them, right? If we love people, we will bring them to Jesus. We will share Christ with them, right? That's part of loving people, and that's part of being a disciple. It's the great commandment, love, love God, love others, and it's the great commission, go make disciples. That's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, to share our faith with others. And think about that too, like in, in, the, in Acts 2, it said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your city, right? It starts there. And I think about how often, we've said this before, we neglect our city, and sometimes our city is the very family that God has placed us in. It is our own children, it's our own uh, family members that we have not shared our faith with, the people that we say we love the most. And so, parents, if you have not shared your faith with your 
children, with your sons and daughters, I would encourage you to do that. Have that conversation with them. Share your story with them. Start with your Jerusalem, your mission field that God has given you right in your family and, and continue to do that. I know some of you are, and I just encourage you to repeat that. Keep doing that because that's the repetition they need to keep hearing and seeing it in us. So I encourage you to do that. So think about that. So we've to, we've talked about this, you know, we, our role as disciples is to bring other people to Jesus and help them be connected to Jesus and follow Jesus. That's why we love people, connect them to Jesus, and serve the world around us. That's our mission as a church. And what we're doing is we're trying to rethink discipleship. And one of the things that caused me to rethink discipleship in my own life as a pastor of our church is actually something that happened last year. I had was invited to attend a Black Lives Matter protest in June of last year. And I went to that march. It was a silent march through the city of Seattle. And I, they estimated there were about 60,000 people in that march. And I was invited to go as a pastor, wear my clergy collar, and go. And part of my role there, in which I think was a good use of a pastor's, the pastoral role, was to be a peacemaker. So that if things were to escalate in the protest, that I was going to intervene and help de-escalate anything so we could keep it a peaceful protest. So I was in full agreement with being able to go uh, be, a, be a pastor and to represent the faith community there and to be a peacemaker. And more importantly than that, I think as a Christian, as a disciple, uh, part of our role is to help end racism in, in our world, in our country, in our city, wherever we see it, that we all would agree that we need to end racism and end the consequences of our racial racist practices of our past, right? That's what we're, we're, we're doing right now. So others, though, have, have looked at my attendance there and, and not seen it positively, have actually uh, done what I called, what we call guilty by association because I attended. They, people assume that I uh, support all of the Black Lives Matter organization and so forth. I actually don't support all of, all the political agenda and everything. I do support that Black Lives Matter and that we want to end racism, and that's why I attended, and that's why it was important. But all that to say is that here's really what happened in my own experience there. As I was marching uh, and walking through the city of Seattle, uh, we're quiet, so we're silent. And um, the silence actually helped me to reflect uh, within my own spirit about what was happening and just to really look at the people around me and, and look at who they were. And nobody's talking. So if you can imagine 60,000 people walking silently through the streets of Seattle. And as I was walking, I noticed something around me. I just looked at the people around me. And as I just, I just observed who was walking with me. And as I looked around, I saw people from other nations there. I saw people from other ethnic backgrounds around me, different races represented, Asian, white, black, uh, Hispanic, Hispanic ethnicity, all these different ethnicities and different uh, Asian ethnicities and different types of people from different nations and different backgrounds all around me. I also saw people with disabilities around me. I saw a person in a wheelchair. I saw a couple people using sign language uh, so there was some hearing disability. I saw people who were Christians holding up Bible verses. I saw people who didn't have any faith at all. I saw Catholics. I saw Protestants. I saw men and women. In front of me, there was a same-sex attracted couple that was walking in front of me. And I was looking at all these people, surrounded all these people, and they're dressed like Seattle, like, you know, just like typical Seattle. Everybody's kind of real casual, and everybody's just being themselves, right? And I'm walking in this sea of people and in this crowd of people, 
And it was like God's Spirit spoke to my spirit in that moment in a way and said, Matt, this is exactly where Jesus would be. This is exactly where Jesus would be. If you read the Gospels, Jesus was always with people that were not like him. Different backgrounds, different things. He was constantly eating with, you know, what it's called sinners and tax collectors. He was going to the people that needed healing and needed forgiveness, and he was spending time with them. And oftentimes the Pharisees were accusing him of guilty, being guilty by association, right? And so what was happening in that moment for me was God was saying, Matt, this is exactly where I want you to be. This is exactly where Jesus would be, right? To be the hands and feet of Jesus is to be with people from all different walks of life. And then I had another thought after that as I was kind of processing it and because you're silent and you have time to talk to God and I'm talking to God about this and, and I want to live honestly before you. One of our, our, our values is to live honestly. And there was another thought that, that made me sad. And this was the sad thought that I had was I thought to myself, God, I don't know that any of these people would ever come to our church. I'm not sure that any of them would ever set foot in our church, in our church building, in our, in our geographic location. I think they'd be in relationship with us, but I don't think they'd ever come to our church. And it made me sad as the pastor to say, these people aren't going to come to us, right? But that thought, that experience be, helped me to rethink discipleship. It helped me to rethink what it means to make disciples as a church. And it is this idea that we have to stop expecting them to come to us. They're not. The majority of the folks living in our city are not going to just walk into our church because they want to be here. In fact, there are a lot of reasons, there are a lot of obstacles that are keeping that, keeping that process from happening. So what do we need to do then? That means we need to go to them. That means we need to go into our neighborhoods. That means we need to go and make disciples. Notice the word go. <laughs> didn't say stay and attract people to you. It says go to all nations, to all people, to all walks of life, to all backgrounds, and go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's the Great Commission. So we, as a church, need to rethink how we make disciples, and not just converts, but people who will follow Jesus, and then also make other followers of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about how, what the fruit of discipleship looks like. But that's really what's made us rethink our, what we call our strategy, our plan for discipleship here at our church. And really that was birthed within some of my own experience of walking the streets of our city. We know it's hard out there. We know it's difficult. And yet disciples don't shy away, shy away from the hardship and the obstacles. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you have called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that you've called us to practice our discipleship, not just hang out at the church, not just take classes at the church, not just uh, spend time with other church people, but you've actually called us to go make disciples, to be sharing our faith with people in our neighborhoods, in our communities, all throughout our city. That you would, that we physically, are, we would be the bridge between you and others knowing you. That we, you would use us as the conduit of grace and forgiveness and healing, 
Not that we do that, not that it's under our power, but it's under your authority and under your power and under your Holy Spirit that it happens. We simply connect them to you, God, and to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. We need your help, Lord. Lord, help us. Come and be a part of us. Strengthen us. Help us to see the way to bring our friends to Jesus, no matter what the obstacles are. Help us see the way to bring them to know you, to know everything about you and your love for them. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.